Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Terrio Media. Broadcasting from Terrio Studios in Glendale, California, it's time for Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. Welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing. This is the place where I show people how to escape the rat race using real estate. If you're just getting started and or or you're you're looking for new and creative ways of making money in real estate, I've put together a free course just for you, including a checklist on how to find motivated sellers. Those are property owners that are willing and able to sell you their property at a discount. Yes, they exist. They are out there. And to access that free course, go to freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. Freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. All right, you got a great show for you today. Uh, but first, I want you to mark your calendars for May 24th, 25th, 26th. And then if you're so inclined to join us also for our mastermind event, the 27th. So 24th, 25th, 26th is the next Epic Intensive. It is officially on the calendar, the theme, Weapons of Mass Production. Going to share with you all the potent tools and methods every real estate investor can use to find motivated sellers, buyers, and lenders in as little as 60 seconds. I'm going to show you a couple techniques that you can get instant response from, even if you think you've heard it all before. So with weapons of mass production at your disposal, you'll find more deals, cash more checks, and finally start calling the shots in your life. So that's what this event is all about. Each one of our Epic Intensives has a different theme. So I'm gonna show you how to find more motivated sellers, buyers, and lenders, and and without throwing good money, throwing away good money after bad, even if you've never made a dime in real estate. Alrighty, so uh, May 24th, 25th, 26th, you can go to epicintensive.com. Doing something very different this time, by the way. Prior to opening up for our early bird pricing like we typically do, I'm actually going to let the first 25 people in for free. That's right. The first 25 people to register are in for free. And uh, today's session, I'm recording this a little bit in advance. I do anticipate having the registration page live by the time that you are hearing this. I'm going to do my best. But should you get there and everything is not set up yet, I'd just like to ask in advance for your patience. But I'll get it set up ASAP. All right. So you can go check it out right now at epicintensive.com. And by the way, have you you checked out our private Facebook group lately? Uh, it's pretty amazing what's going on in there. I mean, the amount of deals getting done and for the amounts of money that's getting generated, it's all been very, very impressive lately. It's turning out to be an outstanding year for real estate for the Epic community. So, you know, between the Epic or the between the follow through crew and the Epic eighty nine participants, absolutely crushing it. For example, Jeremiah Johnson 
uh, on Friday posted a $20,000 wholesale deal that he's got under contract. On Tuesday, he got under contract, and he sold it on Tuesday. Kenny took the day off of work. That's a win for him in itself. But he did so to go pick up his memento from a $60,000 profit fix and flip. Finally sold and funded. He posted that check in there. Sean Vandenbos, the seller, came back to the bargaining table. Game on for him. River closed one more deal. That's three weeks in a row for her. Uh, she's going to actually be on the uh, show with us next week to sh- share with us how she did that. And uh, now she wants to find deals over $10,000 to break their record. But she's got a deal closed three weeks in a row. Corey uh, posted a very impressive check of $191,000 from two single-family houses. And he posted, uh, rewind five years ago. I did not know Matt or Mercedes or any of you. And I definitely didn't know shit about real estate. Still don't. I was 21, living in an upstairs bedroom in my parents' house, $70,000 in student debt, and nothing to my name. What I did have was a realization. You can make excuses or you can live the life you want, but you can't have both. Awesome, Corey. Congrats. Thanks for sharing that with us. You're an inspiration to all of us. And Gary uh, posted his third wholesale deal check, posted a picture of an $18,000 check. So you guys are doing great. And then I just, um, this morning on my walk, I was checking with my, my coaching clients. And I just sent a text to one of them. Uh, Michael to check in and, and here's how he replied. I hadn't talked to him in a couple weeks. That Matt, thanks for checking in. I closed three deals last week, closing on another one tomorrow, and I've got another one under contract today. So business is getting done inside the Epic Investor community. At the Epic Intensive, I'm going to be sharing the weapons of mass production that, that's making all of this happen and a bunch of new ones that are working for us here in our office too. So go to epicintensive.com. The first 25 are free. I know that was a lot. That was, that was more than I've, I've ever shared with you before, but that's how much... Uh, success had been posted in the Facebook group just last week. Alrighty, so on the phone today, I'm joined by a fellow podcaster, successful real estate investor from the Real Estate Investing for Cashflow podcast. Uh, the asset classes he uses to create cash flow, a little bit different than what we discuss here regularly on the show, but I, I always want to share different options with you. There's so many different ways to do this business, so many different ways to succeed in this business. So I invited him on the share, or excuse me, on the show to share personally. So please help me welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing, Mr. Kevin Bupp. Kevin, welcome to the show. Matt, thanks for having me, bud. I'm excited to be joining you guys today. Sweet. And and you know, I've, I've been on your show, I, I think twice now, right? And you have, yeah. And I was like, hey, would you like to come on my show again? And then you said, I've never been on your show. And I was like, uh-oh, we have to fix that. I, I wasn't good enough. I was trying to make deals happen. I guess now I'm at the point now in my life I can I can sit in the big boy club. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly thought we did a, we, we'd, we'd had done that exchange and we, we were yeah. close to each other, but I guess not. So welcome back. Let's make well, this one super special. We're here now, right? We yeah, are. We are. Now. So what market are you in, Kevin? I live in well, I live in Clearwater, Florida, but um, I don't necessarily invest where I live. I, it's not because I don't want to. I just uh, I don't have the choice based on the assets that we invest in. So where mm-hmm. um, I live in Clearwater, Florida, but I invest in basically the eastern half of the U.S. is the best way to put it. Got it. Okay. So on, on that note, uh, what are the asset classes that you are most commonly involved in? Mobile home parks. I mean, that is like. of what we focus on today. I've owned hundreds of multifamily uh, doors. I've owned hundreds of single family house rentals. So I've been doing this since I was 19. And um, that was way back in, I don't know, 1999, I guess. I'm trying to do the math here. I'm 30. I just started 38 yesterday Mm -hmm. as of this recording. And uh, so. Thank you. Thank you. I've been mm-hmm. doing this my, my entire adult life. Um, so I've owned a little bit of everything. I've owned office buildings, uh, small retail. Um, and uh, But f- about five years ago, I inter- got introduced to uh, mobile home parks. And so that's all I've really been doing since that point in time. I've owned a few other small little odds and ends here and there. I still own some single family homes, but 
all of our active portfolio, things that are really we're working on today and, and things that we're actively putting in the pipeline are mobile home parks. Got it. So that's really kind of the, the buzzword here in uh, Los Angeles on the other side of the, the country and all of the, the local meetup groups and the RIA events. Like the, it just seems like that whole mobile home park subject is recurring over and over and over again. And I honestly, I don't know really anything about it other than, uh, you know, someone in other my family. Other than you don't want to live in one. Other than I don't <laughs> want to live in one, right? Exactly. Yeah. So tell me, with all the experience that you had and, and as long as you've been doing this, why have you settled in on that asset class? Well, it's funny because I didn't, I didn't know anything about mobile home parks. You know, I guess it's actually been about six years now. I didn't know anything about them either. And um, I just, I had gone through a really challenging time, Matt, in 2008 with, when the crash happened and I lost a lot of real estate. And um, I took a couple years, just kind of started a couple other businesses, stuck my head in the sand, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I did do real estate for two years, but when I got back into it, 2010, decided I really, okay, I'm going to put my focus back on the real estate. I need to rebuild my fortune because I pretty much had lost everything. I looked back at my prior business model at what worked and what didn't work. And what I realized is that multifamily worked really well for me. It worked better for me, my own, my own personality type and my investment style. It worked better for me than the single family home portfolios I had built. And so I knew I wanted to rebuild a fortune with with multifamily and I knew I could get there faster I knew it was a lot more scalable and so I just at that point you know the market had changed a lot from when I had gotten out of real estate you know from when 2008 happened 2010 you know the, the lending environment was completely different you know, wasn't a lot of credit out there and lots of distressed deals in the market and so things were different so I just went out and I started talking to everyone I could that was still active in the multifamily space to find out what they were doing, what markets they liked, why they liked them, it's just so I could get back up to speed because I literally had walked away for two years just because mm -hmm. I didn't really know what to do with myself at that point in time. I was going through some challenging times with credit and such. But anyway, one of the, one of the introductions that, that was made to me was a gentleman named Randy. And uh, Randy had been in the finance side of the business of mobile home parks and RV parks here in Florida for the past 30 years. And uh, he had retired, uh, I think, about six years prior to me meeting him. And... Um, he started buying parks like in retirement. He started buying parks. He knew them. That's all he had ever financed in his banking career. And so he knew them inside and out. And so as soon as he retired, he's like, well, I guess I need something to do with my time. I'm going to start buying mobile home parks. And so I, I had a two hour lunch with him. I didn't even know what to expect. I went into it saying, you know what? I don't, I'm just going to ask some questions, find out about this asset class, why he likes it. And I walked away after like two or two and a half hours and said, I'm going to give the next year you're my life to focus on this and figure out as much as I can and see if I can make some deals happen. And so I was that excited when I left that meeting with him that that was the point in time where I made a decision that mobile home parks was going to be it. Not, not apartment buildings, mobile home parks. So mm -hmm. that's how I found out about, it and that's how I, uh, you know, decided to dive into it. And you know, we did our first deal. And so here we are today after many, many deals later, we're still buying mobile home parks. Sweet. So, you know, here we are many years later, you've stuck with it. So obviously it's, it's treating you well. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, what do you like best about it? You know, so there's, there's multiple things, you know, I'll give you some of the, 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 the key components that we really, really like. Number one, it's very unique in that it's the only asset class that has a diminishing supply. And so that, what that means is they're not building them anymore. Local municipalities and, you know, cities and towns, they don't like them. And so they don't permit them to be built and they're actually getting torn down faster than they're being built. And so it, it's the only real estate class of, of anything. You could, you could think of retail, shopping centers, assisted living, self-storage, everything. They're still building them. Mm -hmm. Mobile home parks are going away faster than they're being built because people don't want them. And so there's a unique barrier to entry that we have in this space, meaning like if I go buy a mobile home park in a very desirable market that has a high demand for affordable housing, which is kind of our niche, mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about a competitor building one down the road. So that's pretty right. cool. Apartments, if there's any vacant land available, 
you have to worry about that, you know? And so, uh, that, that's one of the, the, the benefits of it. Another one is that, um, you know, they're a lot easier to manage typically than an apartment might be meaning that, you know, most of the parks we own, we just, we own the parks themselves and the dirt and the infrastructure and we just rent the lots. Mm-hmm. That's not hundred percent the case, but that is most of the business is that you just rent the dirt. And so the tenants, they own their own homes. Uh, mm. they, they, if there's a plumbing issue, there's an air conditioning issue, a roofing leak, anything, they don't call me, they handle it themselves because they're the homeowner. They're just renting the dirt from me. So think of it as a, as a parking lot as the best way to put it, where I'm in charge, I'm the park owner, I'm in charge of the common areas. I'm in charge of keeping the roads up and I'm in charge of typically the water and the sewer lines, making sure that they work and they're not clogged and that they're supplying the utilities to these homes. After that, it's up to them. So that's a really nice benefit it. of it. And on top of that, if you really tried to compare apples to apples, which is really difficult to do when you take an apartment building versus a mobile home park. But if we could compare apples to apples and we had a mobile home park of about the same size, uh, about the same um, grade, meaning like, you know, a three star park versus like a C plus or a B class, you know, apartment building, same market, you're, you should, should typically be able to expect about a two to three point yield premium uh, as far as returns are concerned. Mm-hmm. And so you're buying, a, a, you know, if you're buying a, a apartment building at a seven cap, you could probably find that same mobile home park um, if you're buying it right in nine or 10 cap. So uh, the returns are much more attractive. Got should it. be much, should, should be much more attractive. It's not always the case. Obviously you got to buy things right, but typically the returns I'm getting today on my mobile home park portfolio blow away anything I've ever made in single family homes or multifamily. Hmm. Super. So the the supply and demand is working in your favor, and it continues Absolutely. to work in your favor, right? Um, the supply is diminishing. Uh, very uh, much less property maintenance, specifically on the structures themselves. So you're not changing roofs and water heaters and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And then uh, higher return, two to three percent more that, than you would normally get in a apples to apples comparison with the multifamily. So that make makes sense to me. And- and it's affordable. You know, there's really there's nowhere else you can possibly live. So we don't we don't own like, you know, uh, drug ridden, like rundown type mobile home parks. I mean, we, we own family style communities. Uh, typically, there are people there that have children. You know, it's it's a safe, quiet community. It's typically in a really good market. That's, you know, what we deem is not affordable, meaning like there's a high demand for affordable housing. And so there's really, if you really start thinking about the the scale of living options. And, and, and so I'm going to assume from a renter standpoint, you've got you could rent a single family home, or if you're in the apartment space, you're going to rent an A. If you're at the top tier, you're an A class. If you can't afford the A class apartment building, you're going to move to a B class. Can't afford the B class, you're going to move to a C class. You can't afford the C class. Now you've got some decisions to make because the D class is kind of a war zone where you got to pack heat to be comfortable, and you know it's just got a lot of bad things going on. It's kind of war zone type stuff. Or your option could be to move into a community type situation in a mobile home park that's actually probably even cheaper than the D class, but way safer and probably more equivalent to like a C plus class apartment Mm -hmm. building. And so there's really, and if you can't afford to live in a mobile home park, so our average lot rent in our parks in different parts of the country are different, you know, lot rents at different rates, but our average lot rent is about $300 a month. If you can't afford, and that's, that's if they own their own home, if you can't afford $300 a month, Matt, then (laughs) you have no other options. There's nowhere else you could possibly go and live for $300 a month. You couldn't even probably live in a shelter. You'd probably still have to pay them something to live there. You know, it's just, right. it's, so, so it's, it's nice knowing that we've got a product that's in very high demand because affordable housing just isn't being built. You know, it's not, it's not meeting the, uh, the demand, the supply is not meeting the demand as far as uh, new, new affordable housing developments coming out of the ground and such. And so we have a really nice niche and our niche fills that void. Got it. So, um, regardless of what asset class it is and, and what you're investing in the, the, the beginning 
process of finding deals is all pretty much the same. You got to go out and generate a lead. You got to talk to that lead and convert it, get it under contract. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is the where do people go and look for mobile home parks if they're prospecting? Is it is it direct mail? Is it banner signs? Is it classified ads? Like what's what's the approach there? So all all the above work. Um, you know, I can tell you that there's you know LoopNet is like the commercial MLS, and so you can find you know there's a whole category of mobile home parks for sale on LoopNet. Uh, Luke, that's I, I I tend to call it the broker trash can because most of the time when deals finally make it there, they're you know they've been shopped around a bunch or they're overpriced or there's something wrong with them. But that being said, we actually have two parks in contract right now that we found on LoopNet. They'll probably be if we close on both of them, they would be the first parks that we bought in like three years off of LoopNet mm. because there's just not a lot of opportunity that comes up there. A lot of things are just again overpriced or there's some kind of other inherent challenge with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but LoopNet's the big one, uh, and then there's a website called MobileHomeParkStore.com, and that literally is a website dedicated to mobile home park sales. And so, but again, very similar to LoopNet, most things that make it up there. Yeah, they're kind of overpriced. So there's there's some other kind of challenge that just probably doesn't make them a great deal. And, and here's here's the fact. I mean, this applies to really to all commercial real estate, Matt. Is that unlike residential, whereas probably 90, I'm just going to make up some numbers here because I don't know the exact numbers, but probably 97 percent of the transactions that happened in residential real estate happen through the MLS. Right. Right. Would, would you? Uh, the number's pretty high. Maybe it's not 97, but it's pretty darn high. I, I think the, it's, it's 95, 97 is what I've okay. always heard. In the in the commercial th- side, it's the complete opposite. Like 95% of the deals happen off market, meaning like they never make it to a website like a LoopNet or a mobile home park store. Mm-hmm. They're, they're done because a broker has a relationship with a property owner and that broker connects them with another potential buyer. But no one ever even knew that sale happened until it hits public records. It just it just happens. And so a lot of times we buy deals, uh, we buy deals by going direct to owners or we'll use brokers. But more so our business model works best by going direct to owners. So we do a ton of direct mail. We do a ton of cold calling. And that's how we bought pretty much, I guess, about 90% of the deals that we own today is by those two methods. And you can use brokers and you can do other methods as well, but direct to owner works for us. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, it fits our style. Got it. So is it a normal postcard? Is it a more formal letter? Is it a handwritten letter? What kind we do, of- We do everything. It really mm-hmm. depends on, we, we spend a lot of time, and I think this is the important part of it. Uh, we spend a lot of time in our database and we really uh, put a lot of energy into segmenting our list, knowing who we're mailing to. And so we've done this long enough to where we can look at our database of mobile home parks and we can say, well, this guy's a mom and pop. We know their age. We know how long they've owned it. We know they don't own any other parks. And so we always categorize them as a mom and pop. They've owned it for like 20 plus years. That's mm-hmm. their only property. And then we see other names that have a pattern. They own four or five parks. So they're a little bit more of a sophisticated owner. And then we see other names that own, you know, 40 mobile home parks. So these are professional or institutional type guys. And so we, we try to send a different message two different owner types. Mm-hmm. And so like a mom and pop, uh, they might get a handwritten letter first or they get, they, no matter what, they get a very personalized letter. Mm-hmm. It might not be a handwritten letter, but it's going to be a very personalized letter. It's going to come from perspective of me and my family. We're in the park business. We're looking to buy a park. We've seen your park. Yeah, and I even sometimes put like a family picture like sure. on, on the signature line. And then uh, more professional owners probably going to have like a business letterhead. And then sophisticated owners, actually, we don't, or like more institutional owners, we don't do direct mail to. And a lot of times it never even makes it to the right person. So we'll cold call them or we'll get a broker involved in those mm-hmm. types of scenarios. So it just really depends. We, we do different types of messages for different types of people. And then we have different de- types of follow-up as well. You know, like, well, if a postcard doesn't work, we'll do a letter. If a letter doesn't work, we'll do a postcard and we'll go from more handwritten to a more printed letter. And it would just change everything up. You know, but I think the more important thing with direct mail is that you touch them all the time, mm-hmm. is that you continually touch them. And so that's really our, our main uh, key ingredient is that we send out multiple mailers per year 
to every single park owner that we're trying to um, to buy or every single park that we're trying to buy. Got it. So once you've got it under contract, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much it looks like any other deal. You conduct your due diligence and then you just manage the asset, right? That's it. You know, there are some tricky components of mobile home parks that don't probably exist in a lot of the other asset types out there. The utility setups in mobile home parks can be very unique in that, um, and it can be it can be really the the part that people lose their butt on. I mean, it, it's one of those things that you gotta you gotta really understand the the utility uh, infrastructure of a mobile home park to know what you're getting yourself into. And what I mean by that is, a lot of these mobile home parks, a large majority of them were built on less desirable plots of land back when they were built. Like, so if they were built in the 60s or 70s, maybe at that point, uh, you know, the land was outside of the town, but now it might be annexed into the city. So it might be like more of a uh, of a suburban environment now, but back when it was built, it wasn't. And so, mm-hmm. you know, back when they built it, it probably didn't have city utilities running to it. It didn't have public water, didn't have public sewer. And so a lot of parks we still see today, they have like private uh, uh, sewage systems. Like literally they have like a miniature sewage plant in that park that services just that park. Like think of like how your city services your sewage. Mm-hmm. Well, think of like a really miniaturized version of that inside that park. So there's common, you know, that's that's quite common. And then you got like a well component where maybe there's not public water and there's well water. And so you got that, 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 it, that becomes a very complicated process if you don't know what you're doing, meaning like you're now basically treating sewage and you're treating drinking water. And if you don't know how to do that right, or if you end up poisoning somebody or you have sewage, a sewage issue, you can get yourself into some big trouble with the, uh, the EPA and the DEP and, you know, and, uh, and, and lots of, lots of money and, and, uh, expenses to repair it. So, um, sure, yeah, you don't want to get those two lines crossed up. No, no. <laughs> it's funny because we're actually, we've had our challenges. We kind of know what we're getting ourselves into. Like with due diligence, you just have to know what you're getting yourself into. You got to get the third parties involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, we own multiple parks that have private utilities, but when we're buying them, we, we get the third parties involved that are professionals in that space. We get them to inspect the utility systems, kind of know what the um, life expectancy is, any potential problems that we might have coming up. And then we set aside the, you know, the right reserves in case we ever have to replace something. And uh, we have to really know going in what you're about to get yourself into. And we've got a big project now. We've got a uh, um, uh, like a, a large common area septic system that's failing and we're connecting in the city sewer, but it's costing us about a quarter million dollars. So, um, you know, that came up about six months after we bought the park, but we knew we went into it thinking that worst case scenario, this happens in the first year and it's happening. So yeah, mm-hmm. we kind of planned for it. But, uh, it. That, that, that would kill that, that particular issue in that park would have killed somebody. Like they would have, the, the deal would have bankrupted itself if mm-hmm. that would have happened. If they didn't plan for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, learning some of those mis- yeah, some yeah, of those lessons good. myself. Um, uh, just re- as very recently as we talked about just before we started recording. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, achieving success is part of learning those lessons and applying the, those lessons to the future. And, and speaking of lessons, you had mentioned something about 2008 where, you know, you, you lost everything and you had to start over again. Um, what would you say, are the, are the, what are you doing differently now than you were doing then that's, uh, you know, I guess, what lessons have you carried forward that are serving you today? You know, that's a challenging question, Matt, because I I, I was very low leverage back then. I, I considered myself a very conservative investor back prior to that crash happening. Um, you know, but the, the thing that got me that really uh, hurt us, I was in Southwest Florida. And so, you know, we were at about a 58% LTV on like our entire portfolio of single family homes, like not talking the apartment buildings, but the single family homes. Uh-huh. And so, in, in the eyes of most people, that's very safe. Seems decent, yeah. 
I mean, we lost literally. We we uh, we were worth nothing in a matter of eight months, eight or nine months. Like we every single like there were certain markets that went down sixty percent where we were, and so our equity was gone. But not only that, there was a lot of speculative builders that were building down in Southwest Florida. There's lots of vacant land, so lots of open land in Southwest Florida. And that was back when people were literally flipping a new house before it was even finished. They were flipping like five times, mm -hmm. you know, and. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we actually had an issue with a lot of new spec builders that had brand new three two twos, like for a, further than the eye could see, that were started renting their homes out, started renting brand new homes out to cover their construction loan costs. And so we had like um, this mass exodus of renters out of our units. And so we got hurt really bad. So I don't know what I would have done differently as far as that's concerned, other than um, I probably would have put, I should have put more effort into multifamily properties and, and, and just focused on that part of my portfolio because it seemed like the single families. And I know you're a single family guy, so I'm not saying like single family is bad. I'm just saying in that market in Florida, it wasn't enough of a cash flow play. Like we did have cash flow, but it definitely was more of an appreciation type of market. Right. And so I guess if I were to go back again, I definitely would have put way more emphasis, which we do today. It's ca it's all about cash flow. I could care less about what I look like on paper. In mm -hmm. fact, I never even do. I don't even spend the time or energy to get myself all excited about what it might look like on paper of like what I'm worth because of the equity I have. Because it's, mm -hmm. it's irrelevant. It's, it's monopoly money. It's fake. You can't spend it, but you can spend the cash flow. And so with that being said, to answer your question, I would have focused much more heavily on on cash flow than I would have on appreciation. And back then, I kind of looked at both equally, but really the appreciation is what got me excited because I was like, wow, look at these big numbers. I'm worth this many millions of dollars. This is great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> but it went away in a, uh, in a drop of a dime. It just went away. Poof. Gone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, the, the, um, if you look back historically, we, we all kind of know that uh, these real estate cycles go in seven, eight, nine-year cycles. And, uh, you know, we're right, pretty much approaching that right now. Um, how is that impacting how you're doing business? Or are you concerned with it? Or what do you see for the future? What, what are you noticing in the market and what's imminent over the horizon? You know, the good thing is that with mobile home parks, at least, this, I found this out after we started investing in them, but they actually had the lowest default rate of any uh, commercial asset class during, you know, between like 2007, 2010. Well, yeah, so that's three, pretty exciting. At $300 a month. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no, that's it. There's no way she can go. So like right. when you start, again, teetering down that scale of like, I can't afford, I got a downside, I can't afford, I got a downsize, you end up in a mobile home park. And that's it's not like that's like the, the end of the road for you because a mm -hmm. lot of the parks are nicer than a lot of the apartment buildings that are out there. But it's it's very affordable living. And so... Um, you know, we're just very conservative. I mean, every deal we buy, we kind of, we, we look at something as though, okay, well, what's the worst case scenario? Like if we're buying it today, a lot of stuff we buy is distress. And so if we know that whatever we're buying today, number one, it's got to make sense on today's numbers and that's in the distress state that it's in. So we're typically buying things at very significant discounts. Like we're not paying for the upside, which I see a lot of people doing in today's type of climate. We're mm -hmm. not paying for that upside. And so we know that more than likely, the property will never be in the condition that it's currently in when we buy it. And so if we, if we you know, increase the occupancy, get the you know, collections better, then we know that still either worst case scenario would happen. If it actually ever did, if we lost occupancy and it went back down to what it was like when we bought it, like let's say it was struggling to the point of you know, when we purchased that park, that it would still support itself. Like it actually would still support its debt service. Mm -hmm. And so we always kind of go in with like the worst case scenario of like, if worst case did happen and people wanted to be homeless rather than live in a mobile home because they couldn't even afford 300 bucks a month, if that did happen, if the world really came to an end like that, could we still pay our debt service and could we still, you know, perform in these parks and make it through the downturn? And the mm -hmm. answer is yes. So that's kind of we go in with that mindset. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it's ever going to be that severe, but we I like to think of it that way just because I got hurt so bad in 2008. Right. Yeah. If it ever did come to that, I would have to think that we'd have bigger fish to fry than our debt service. 
Exactly. <laughs> right. So, and a lot of the parks we're buying, I mean, they just um, our cash on cash returns are ridiculous. These things, they just they cash like we're not. Sque- I'm not the kind of guy that goes out like I see a lot of these multifamily prospectuses come across my desk and, you know, they're promoting. And they're all excited about, you know, nine, eight or nine percent cash on cash returns. And I just kind of laugh, you know, and they've got like, you know, 20 percent IRRs. But that's assuming a, you know, a seven percent rental increase for the next five years and then an exit out of it at a five cap. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that that's just not realistic to me. You know, like that just like you're literally that's a lottery ticket right there. And right. there's a good chance when you scratch it off, it's not going to be a winner. You know, mm-hmm. um, the stuff we buy is a winner from day one. It just gets better as we um, as we improve the upside. Yeah. You, you make your money when you buy. Right. That's it. Absolutely. You it, do. It, it's not it's, it's, 100%. That old adage is not there by accident. 100 uh, percent. Right. Um, so. Sounds sounds great, Kevin. I'm sitting here thinking, like scratching my head. Maybe I should start looking at mobile home parks. But there's challenges <laughs> with every strategy. What's the biggest challenge Absolutely. that you face with this one? You know, there's there's multiple. I mean, you know, uh, financing's challenging sometimes with mobile home parks. Um, a lot of them, there's still it's a very fragmented industry, and so there's still a large majority of parks out there that are owned by like the original mom and pop like developers. Um, you know, or maybe like a second generation, but still like not a very professional owner that keeps great books. Mm -hmm. In fact, more often than not, I'd say parks that we buy, the reason why we get owner financing is because there's no other option. Like the books are so bad, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they keep like handwritten ledgers and it's pretty, you know, they don't have to use a computer or anything like that. And, um, a a bank would look at it and be like, I don't even know what's going on here. There's no way we're lending money on it. So lending can be challenging sometimes for that reason. It It also can be challenging because the banks just don't understand the asset class in their mind. In their mind, they think that it's not secure because someone can just move their mobile home out of that lot. Now you just got a piece of dirt left over. But really, very rarely do homes ever move out of a park. They're very expensive to move on average or like three to four thousand dollars for a single wide. And that's just to move it. That's not to reset it back up and reconnect it on a new lot. Like really, you're looking probably about six or seven thousand dollars mm-hmm. to move a single wide. And so they don't move because people that live in a mobile home park, they never have six or seven thousand dollars in their pocket at one point in time to go move it somewhere. So uh, financing is a big challenge. Um, another challenge is the, uh, the the management component of it. You know, uh, comp- when you compare it to like apartment buildings or even single family uh, for that matter, you can pretty much if you're in a major market, you can pretty much bet that you can find a third party property management company that should be able to do a good job managing your asset. And I say should, you know, mm-hmm. you should be able to find somebody to manage your asset. Meaning like you could not be hundred percent passive, but you could be as hands off as possible. And mobile home parks, it's not the case. There it's not a large enough asset class to where there's like multiple professional property management companies that specialize in this niche. Mm-hmm. There might be a few companies out there that do it, but they're not great at it. And so if you want to be in this niche, even the bigger biggest operators out there you have to be vertical with your management, meaning like you have to every single one of our parks has an on-site manager. And so sometimes it's a husband and wife team. Sometimes it's just an individual, but they live in the park. They're there. They handle the rent collections, the late notices. They show up on court on our behalf if they can. Uh, so they handle the day-to-day operations, but you got to be vertical. So like we actually handle our communication from our central office, but we have to oversee them. So like we're overseeing the property management of every single one of these parks, which can be intense. I mean, it, it can be pretty intensive and it can be, um, there can be a lot of moving parts to it. So, um, that, that can be a challenge for a lot of people. If you can't figure that out and you can't figure out how to efficiently go vertical with the management infrastructure, mm-hmm. then it might not be for you. Right. Cause that's, that's where most parks fail. If they, if they're not managed correctly, they fail. That's where cash flow period fails. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> management. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you got to do as much due diligence and, and work on your management as you do the property in some, in many cases. 
I think that's why a lot of like a lot of apartment guys are attracted to apartments because you really can. I mean, there's some really good management companies out there, especially when you start buying bigger apartment buildings. You know, management companies that are specialized they specialize in even turnarounds. Like they can, there's different types of management companies, and you can find you know large professional operators that also have a management arm. They can help you manage your property, and you can not necessarily be fully hands off, but like you know that someone's in there doing a better job than you could ever do managing it. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case in mobile home parks. Like you got to figure it out yourself. You, you got to put the systems and processes in place to manage that asset. You can't just hand it off. Every time I've ever seen it handed off to someone else. In fact, we've got a parking contract now up in Buffalo, New York, and it's being managed by a third-party management company. And they, it's it's pitiful. It, I mean, it's it's the worst thing. They literally only get like I, I looked yesterday. They're getting like forty percent of collections uh, by the sixth of the month. So by the you know, grace period's done, they've only collected forty percent of the collections in the park. Mm. That's pitiful. I mean, right. come. On. <laughs> totally. They've been managing it for two years. This mm-hmm. this company, and it's sad. It's really sad. Right. So, well, let's turn this around. What 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 about yeah. the future of your business has you the most excited? You know, as I mentioned, it's a fragmented industry, and so there's a lot of mom and pops out there that are aging out of these assets. It's it's a very unique time in the mobile home park space because. The average age, I'm not joking, we bought seven parks last year, and the average age of our seller, if you actually looked across the board, was like 70 years old. Mm. And so there's a, uh, and a lot of them, own, they own them free and clear, most of them did. And so um, there's an opportunity there to buy from aging owners, not only aging owners that can sometimes offer owner financing, but um, it's exciting because a lot of times they haven't run it like a true business. You know, like they haven't raised rents in a long time. We've bought parks where they haven't raised rents in 16 years. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, there's like so much, you know, just upside and money left on the table. That's what excites me about this business as a whole, because I still think there's a lot of, no matter what the economy is doing, it doesn't matter. I know there's opportunities out there right now in this space that I can buy to where I can go in right away and raise rents 40% and not miss a beat, you know, not skip a beat because the owner hadn't raised rents in 10 years. And so that's that's got me real excited about this industry. And I think that that will offer opportunity for the next 10 to 15 years, those mm-hmm. those that are aging out of this asset class and selling to people like ourselves. So uh, that's got me excited. And then we just actually just finalized uh, putting together a, a $10 million fund um, to actually kind of accelerate our buying um, uh, in the park space. So uh, awesome. up until this point, we've been doing a lot of deal-specific capital raises or just using our own money on deals. And now we're just, we got such a big pipeline and we're about to ramp up marketing and I'm excited, man. I know that a lot of people think we're like at a peak of a market, which I think we are in a lot of other asset types, but we're still finding great deals. They're a little more challenging to find, but they're there. So Mm -hmm. I'm pumped pumped for, you know, just more deals down the road. That's great. That's great. And congratulations on the fundraise. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. If any listener wanted to reach out to you, Kevin, what would be the best way for them to do that? They can find me two ways. Um, my website, which is kevinbupp.com. That's like my main website. I also have my uh, my main real estate podcast up there. But then also we have a uh, we have a mobile home park specific podcast as well, Matt. So I do two weekly podcasts. I do mm. a commercial real estate show called Real Estate Investing for Cashflow. And then back in June of 2016, we launched a weekly show called the Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. So they can actually contact me through that website as well, which is called mobilehomeparkacademy.com. So they can find me either way. Um, both of those contact us pages uh, end up in my inbox sometime or another. They come, they come to me. So all right, uh, either way, they can reach me. Great. We'll make sure that all of those links and domains are in the show notes, just in case you're on the treadmill or you're out jogging around or you're driving around. Uh, thank you, Kevin, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll certainly do it again. And all the best to you and yours. Great. Thanks, Matt, for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Take care. 
Alrighty, so that's it for today. I'll see you next week on another episode of Epic Real Estate Investing. God bless to your success. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. You've been listening to Epic Real Estate Investing, the world's foremost authority on separating the facts from the BS in real estate investing education. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to visit iTunes and share your thoughts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time here at Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.